we're looking at family values, the, the family of First Norfolk values. And uh, these are values that certainly applied to my growing up years in my family. Uh, I had parents that taught me that God's glory is first place, that my first ambition in life must be to express honor to God in every area of my life. My parents were also the type that would let me know when I didn't do it. And I'm glad. I'm glad for parents like that. I I needed it. I I, I still need it. Uh, When I'm not expressing honor to God in every area of life, I need to know that. And I need need to have that course correction. One of the reasons why we gather together for worship is it helps us see where we're not doing that. Uh, It helps us see what we're supposed to do and encourage us in doing that, but it also shows us where we're not doing. So expressing honor to God in every area of our life, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. Last week, Pastor Tim did a tremendous job uh, leading us into the second value, and that is experiencing Christ's love uh, as life's greatest delight. And, you know, that is something we need to understand, that the love of Christ really is life's greatest delight, more than any other love. I I love the Dallas Cowboys, and they're going to beat the San Francisco 49ers today. But even if they don't, I know the love of Christ. I know the width and the depth and the length and the height. I know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and it's that love that soaks in my soul and strengthens me each day. More than a sporting event or a sporting team, Uh, more than any earthly relationship, and I have some great earthly relationships, the love of Christ is life's greatest delight. I also had parents that let me know when my loves got off course. You know, know, uh, there were seasons and times when my loves got off course, where I loved this more than I loved Christ, or I loved that more than I loved Christ. I thought that I could taste love better. I was looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces. Some of y'all don't even know what that is, but those who giggled, you do, yay! Um, Today, we're looking at the third value of our church family, and that is authentic relationships. Everybody wants an authentic relationship. Everybody does. Um, You want relationships that are authentic, relationships that are life-giving and soul-satisfying. You want relationships like that. The reason we talk about Christ's love before and, and God's glory before we talk about authentic relationships is because we know that the only way we can find authentic relationships, experience authentic relationships this way is when we have an authentic relationship with God and experience His love flowing toward us through Christ. But when we experience that, when we experience that new kind of life found through faith in Jesus Christ, when we experience that I've been made brand new kind of life through faith in Jesus Christ, when we experience that my sin is forgiven and I've been brought into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ, when we experience that, then we have been set to experience authentic, life-giving, soul-satisfying relationships this way, with each other. And so we're looking at authentic relationships, but the definition of authentic relationship that we get from Scripture, but especially in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, is going to sound different than what you might hear 
in other places. If you do a Google search about what is an authentic relationship, chances are this is what we're about to look at is not going to come up. But that leads us to next week's value. See, the, the core value that we look at next week is God's Word. We treasure God's Word as the rule for our life and faith. It's God's Word that defines life for us. It's God's Word that sets the standard. It's God's work that tells us how to do it. And so we look first to God's Word to find out how can I experience relationships that are authentic. And we come with this definition. Authentic relationship is found when we are serving people with the sacrificial love of Jesus. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. That, that's it? Yes. According to Scripture and according to this passage and so many others, the way we experience life-giving, soul satisfying relationship is when we serve people with the sacrificial love of Jesus. Now, the reason this is so different than what you're going to hear from other places in a Google search is because if you were to Google it, the focus would be on what others can give you. Well, you'll experience an authentic relationship when person A meets your needs in A, B, C, D, E, F, and G kind of way. Or you're going to experience authentic relationship when you have a safe place to express yourself and et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not saying those things are bad necessarily. I'm just saying that's not the place to begin. The place to begin, if you want an authentic relationship, instead of looking for what everybody can do for me, I need to see what I'm called by God to do in that relationship. You've got a marriage that needs help. Here it is. Here's how that marriage relationship becomes authentic, life-giving. You serve your spouse with the sacrificial love of Jesus. You, you want satisfying friendships. Right, here's how it goes. You serve others those friends with the sacrificial love of Jesus. Now, you might say, well, how, wait, 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 man. Where do you get this definition? How does it work? Well, let's look in Philippians chapter 2, okay? Now, go ahead and turn there. If you're already there, just hold on for a second. My wife, her family on her mother's side is from southwest Louisiana, Indian Bayou, near Lafayette. Uh, her grandmother's uh, family name is Boulay. Now, if you don't know anything about Southwest Louisiana, one of the things you need to know is that's Cajun country. And uh, Boule is a French name in Southwest Louisiana. Now, there are a lot of great things about Cajun, a lot of great things. One of the greatest things is gumbo. Gumbo is off the chain. Now, what is for the benefit of me and our family, is my wife received from her mother, who received from her mother, who received from her mother, generation after generation after generation, how to make authentic gumbo. How to put the roux together and how to uh, do all the stuff that you're supposed to do. And by the way, if you do oysters in your gumbo, fooey on you. Although that's probably authentic. But my wife has learned, Edie has learned how to make 
authentic gumbo. And in each generation, they tweak the recipe a little bit to, to fit where they are and their family and that kind of thing. But it is, it is Louisiana Cajun gumbo because it follows a recipe passed down generation to generation to generation. That's what makes it authentic. If you want authentic relationship, then you got to go and follow the recipe. And the recipe for authentic relationship, the pattern, the model, is found in Jesus Christ. He's the one who makes a relationship authentic. He's the one who will make the relationship satisfying. But you've got to follow his pattern. You've got, to, you've got to do relationship the way Jesus did relationship. You want to have satisfying marriage? Do marriage the way Jesus did relationship. You want to have satisfying friendships, satisfying parent-child child-parent relationship, uh, satisfying work relationships. you got to do relationships the way Jesus did relationships. And Philippians chapter 2, you look at verse 5, and Paul sets the stage on how Jesus did relationship. Okay? Now, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 to see how we're supposed to do it, but it's all built on the recipe of Jesus. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, that's why Paul begins, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, took the form of a servant, and came in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross." Jesus came, he left heaven so that he might bring heaven to sinners like you and me. Jesus came out of obedience to God to die for sinners like you and me. Jesus let go glory of heaven to die for you and for me. That is the model of relationships. It's how Jesus did it. Jesus gave up his privilege for the purpose of salvation for you and me. Jesus gave himself out in sacrificial service for us. That's why he said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he said, the Son of Man, talking about himself, the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came so that he might die out of obedience to God and salvation for people who didn't deserve it. And by the way, that's all of us. Okay? So that is the recipe on how we're supposed to be doing relationships. That's the model. That's the pattern. And if we try to do relationships in following any other design, what we're going to end up with is something that is less than satisfying. We're not going to have authentic. We're going to have inauthentic. We're going to have not something that's life-giving. We're going to have something that is soul-sapping. So if you want, and I do, and we do, if we want authentic relationship, then we got to follow the recipe. Serving people with the sacrificial love of Jesus, okay? So that's first. Now, um, going back to gumbo. Y'all like gumbo? If you've had authentic gumbo, you know what I'm talking about. You like gumbo. 
put a little authentic hot sauce in it. I love gumbo. Uh, One of the things I've learned about gumbo making is uh, you got to have the right ingredients. So the right ingredients begin with the Holy Trinity of roux making. The Holy Trinity. He might say, gumbo spiritual. Some would say, yes, I'm not there, but the Holy Trinity of uh, ingredients, onion, celery, and bell pepper, the Holy Trinity. And you've got to have that Holy Trinity to make authentic gumbo. You have those three ingredients, you've got the makings for authentic gumbo. Now, what Paul does in Philippians 2, he says, okay, there's a recipe to follow, and that's Jesus Christ. And this is how we're supposed to do relationship. Authentic relationship is modeled after Jesus who served others by sacrificing himself for our good. And we're supposed to do relationship, closest relationship and furthest relationship. We're supposed to serve each other in this room, people that we like and people that we don't so much like. And I know that there aren't a lot of people like that in the room with you, but uh, people you know, people you don't know. You, 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 we're, we're here to serve, just like Jesus. That's the recipe. And you might say, well, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I... Think of it this way. Uh, I don't know how many of y'all have to travel during commute here in the seven cities. I, I, I do on occasion. I mean, I get to choose a little bit, but, but if you have to drive in the morning between 7 and 8.30, 8.45, somewhere in there, on the highway, or if you have to drive... Uh, between 4 and 5.30 to 6 in the afternoon, you know what I'm talking about. On the highway, there is commuter traffic. And commuter traffic can get crazy, 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 crazy. They built this whole interchange right over here that has done havoc with us as a church. They built that whole interchange because of commuter traffic and what I'm about to talk about. So uh, when you are driving along, are you the person, and, and you're going to have to go, say, from 64 to 264, are you the person that gets in the right lane to make that exit way back here, or are you the person who gets in the lane just on the other side and tries to cheat the line of cars that are in the right lane, and then all of a sudden right before 100 feet from the turn, you flip your blinker on and you try to scoochie over. Which person are you? Don't raise your hand and really don't want to know because that would test my authentic relationship with you. <laughs> the truth is, truth is we, we all struggle with how to, how to uh, uh, navigate those moments. And if you're built like I am, and I am built this way, I am built so that I am in the right lane. And no matter how far back it goes, to the distress of my family at different times, I'm in the right lane. I'm a norm-oriented, rule-following person. You might not know I'm a rule-following person. That's my my core nature. And so so I'm I'm in that right lane. And so I'm driving down, and I'm in that bumper-to-bumper, stop, 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 go, stop, 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 go. go. And I see these people on the left-hand side. And they're just speeding down, just speeding down and speeding down, and they're trying to get in way up there. And there's going to be a moment where it's up to me. I'm there, and I see somebody speeding past, and they stop right about three-quarter lengths of my car in front of me, and they turn on that blinker. And I'm like, dude, you're out of luck. 
You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. This passage teaches us that we are supposed to yield to their blinker and let them in. I'll show you in a second. All right. And you might say, well, I can't do that. Well, yes, we can because we've got all the ingredients. Just like you have to have the holy trinity of onion and bell pepper and celery to make authentic gumbo, we have all the ingredients that we need to live a life of authentic relationship with other people. Here's what Paul writes, Philippians 2, verse 1. He says, uh, if there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection or mercy... Fulfill my joy by being of like mind, being one-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Okay, stop there. Now, what's he saying? He's saying, first of all, we've got a pattern to follow. We have the encouragement of Christ or the consolation of Christ or the comfort of Christ, depending on your translation. He's, saying, he's not saying you don't have it. Maybe you can get it. He's saying the gospel of Christ that has made you brand new has given you this ingredient. You've got the encouragement of Jesus Christ. Jesus is already part of your life, defining and directing you so that you know how to do relationship. Not only that, you have the fellowship of the Spirit. He has poured his Spirit within you to empower you to live relationship in a sacrifice, sacrificial love kind of way. You have the ingredients. Not only that, you have the comfort of love. This is the love that has been poured into your life through Christ Jesus that now you pour out toward others. You've got all the love you need to do authentic relationship. Not only that, but you've got affection and mercy or compassion and mercy, depending on your translation. You've got these qualities that define Jesus. This is how Jesus lived. You think about it. Jesus was dying on a cross for sinners like you and me. And while he's being killed on that cross, and people were spitting on him and mocking him, uh, sticking spears in his side, as they were gambling over his clothing at the foot of the cross, as, as they were saying all kinds of ugly things to him and about him, and as he is dying for nothing that he had ever done, Jesus looks at all these people that are ugly and mean and hateful and cruel and murderous, and he says, Father, forgive them. And everything that Jesus had in him to say that to them, he has poured into us for us to say to one another. We have those ingredients. You might say, well, I don't, I don't see them. I know, I know, I know. I don't see them sometimes too. But the reason we don't see them is because we listen so loud, long and so hard to the uh, emotions in our soul rather than the compassion or the affection and the mercy or the Spirit of God speaking through the Word of God to us. We listen so long to our emotions or to our will or to what our friends might say and we don't listen long enough to what the Spirit of God is speaking and what the love of God is directing us and what the affection and mercy of Christ is commanding of us, but if we will, if we will listen to those ingredients that God has poured in us by the gospel, you are a brand made new person, a new creation in Christ Jesus, all this other stuff, that's passed away. Now you're living. You are living every day as a 
follower of Jesus. That means you've got to live the way he lived. Forgive the way he forgave. Love the way he loved. You've got all the ingredients you need. The Spirit of God is awakening in you, even now. You know, I told you about my parents. They, man, they were, some would say they were strict. And they were. And you know why they were strict? Because I was so prone toward other things. The Spirit of God is better than my parents in correcting us on where we are failing to adjust, to fit the definition and to live by the ingredients that would lead to authentic, life-giving, soul-satisfying relationships. We've got to serve people. We've got to let the blinker people in. After all, now you're, yeah, it, here's my thought process. I'm sitting in that lane, and I see the blinker come on. And I'm like, no, no, just no, 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 no. I might even do two, no. And the reason I do that is because I have suffered through this long line. I paid the price. It is my right not to let you in. Except when you think about what Jesus has done for you, it changes that perspective. Instead of me being able to exalt my own rights, this is my right, this is what I get to do. (laughs) And Jesus took all his rights and gave them up in order to give us an eternity with himself. And that's the model of how to do relationships. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, because this is what Paul gets at in verses 3 and 4. He says, now, let me apply it. And the application is painful. And, and so I, I want us to take a moment, and there are three application points of serving people with the sacrificial love of Jesus. Three application points. There are others, but these are the three that Paul brought out. The first application point is this. You've got to let go selfish ambition. You've got to let go selfish ambition and conceit. Look at verse 3. It says, um, <clears throat> let us therefore, uh, he writes, uh, let, us, uh, uh, let, us, uh, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each one esteem others more important than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. There's the application. So here's how we're supposed to live based upon, we've got a recipe to follow. That recipe is Jesus. We've got all the ingredients we need. Uh, The uh, uh, encouragement in Christ, the comfort of love, the fellowship of the Spirit, affection and mercy. We've got all those ingredients to love authentically and to live authentically with others. Now, are we going to cook the gumbo or are we just going to talk about it? Now's the time to do it. Doing it means that we first let go selfish ambition and conceit. What is selfish ambition? Selfish ambition is me sitting in my lane And me just saying, it is my right to be here, and you don't get that right. 
because you didn't do what I did. You didn't go the path that I went. You didn't, you didn't travel the journey that I traveled. You don't get what I got because this is my, it's my right, it's my privilege. Selfish ambition, you might say, is, uh, might say, well, that, that's, that selfish ambition is bad. Ambition is good. <laughs> selfish ambition is ambition about ourself. You got to think this. That, this is the Greek. This isn't English. This is Greek. Ambition about ourself. That's hard because we live in a culture and a time where we're supposed to be ambitious. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be ambitious. I hope Dak Prescott is ambitious to win today against the 49ers. I hope he's ambitious in that way. So I'm not saying that ambition is bad. What I am saying is ambition for self always takes second and third seat, never first seat. Ambition for God's glory first, ambition for others second, ambition for Eric third. That's the model in this passage. That's the way Jesus did it. That's the way we've got to do it. Let go ambition for self. Then he adds to it. Not only do we let go selfish ambition, but secondly, (laughs) we we make serving others greater than serving self. You see how it goes? He says, he said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, with humility, with a humbled heart, let each one consider others more important than himself. Okay, so... I mean, by the way, this flies in the face of the American dream in a lot of ways. And, and you got to own that. Yeah, I mean, you got to own that. It, it does. It flies in the face of it in a lot of ways. So what this says, and it says that this way is better than the American dream way. Y'all get that? Right? I know I'm stepping on toes. and uh, I, did, I hate it when the preacher talks politics. That's not politics. That's Bible. Okay? You got to know the difference. All right? So, so this this flies in the face. It says that ser- serving others is greater than serving self. It's more important. Do you see it in the text? Because that's really where it comes from. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each one esteem others more important, greater than oneself. In the context, he's talking about serving. He's talking about living in relationship with other people. So he's saying, hey, listen, so if you're going to have authentic relationship, life-giving, soul-satisfying relationship, you've got to follow the example of Christ. And what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus, he, he made serving others uh, more important than serving self. If he was going to serve himself, he'd just stay in heaven. But he let go heaven's glory to give us heaven. He let go his life and he... Embrace death so that we who are dead might embrace life. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. Serving others greater than serving self. Serving others, uh, it, it's, it's the focus is on how I can serve you, not how you need to be serving me. And that's Again, this is what happens in church life, and we'll talk about this in a second, but it's what happens in church life. People leave the church because they don't get what they want. You hear it in what, how they say, well, I'm leaving because I'm not getting what I want. And they'll say, I'm not getting fed the way I want, or I'm not getting to sing the way I want, or I'm not around the people I want to be around, or I don't get this, or I don't get that. I, 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 I. 
That is such an upside-down way of viewing church and relationships that we're supposed to have. When we enter this relationship, it is not about what you will do for me, but rather it's about what I will do for you. Before Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, in Mark 10, 45, he said, he said, the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Before he said that, in verses 43 and following, listen to what he said. He said, whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. This is Mark 10, 43 through 45. Whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Guys, listen. Until we turn on its head our view of relationships, where a relationship, I'm in this relationship not so it will make me feel a certain way, but so that I can serve a certain way. That's why I'm in this relationship. Until we turn that on its head, until we let the Spirit of God turn our thoughts about relationship on its head, we're going to be dissatisfied in our relationships. So we need to make serving others greater than serving self. Which leads to the third point, which is we need to set our sights on we rather than on me. Now, look at, look at verse 4. He, at verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each one esteem others more important than himself. And let each one of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And you just take that at face value. What that says is, you're not in this for you, you're in this for us. It's it's we, not me. The reason people leave church is because they're thinking about me, not we. You see this in marriages and in close relationships. Um, in, in my house, there are duties that we do. There are things that we uh, are responsible for. Edie and I have been married over 30 years. We don't have to talk about it. We know it instinctively. When it comes to taking out the trash, that's my job. And we never wrote it down anywhere that I remember. I don't think we ever wrote that one down. Uh, we, we, it, it just, it was, that was my job. I'm taking out the trash. And, and so I could be that person that says, I can't believe. I always, if a trash is going to get taken out, I'm the one who's got to do it. I can't believe. I've always got to do it. Take out trash. Oh, woe is me. I'm a trash taker out there. I have no other identity than taking out the trash. You know the people. You know these people. Maybe you are that person. You got this one thing, and, and you think, oh, it's such an inconvenience. I come in on a Wednesday night after a long day's work, and there's the trash, and there's the trash can, and I got to take the trash out of the trash and put it in the trash can, take the trash can, take it out to the curb. Oh, woe is me. I'm a trash taker out here. I can't believe I got to do this. It's toxic trash. I can't believe it. Do you know what causes us to have that? You know what can cure that attitude? It's when we start thinking about we rather than me. Instead of me thinking, oh, I can't believe I'm going to take out the trash. Start thinking, oh my goodness, can you imagine how wonderful the we will shine when the trash is taken out? 
Oh my goodness, when the floor in the kitchen is mopped, the we begin to sing. Oh my goodness, when we take the, the cleansers and we clean the commode, it's a we, not a me. And no matter who the me is that's got to do that job, it's still a we journey. And it creates a, a bigger picture for us. It's not just about me doing this thing. It's about we growing together and experiencing the benefit and the blessing of that one task. Is your perspective more we than me in our church? The reason we have this, and, and you know this, I, you go out in the grand lobby, you see these diagrams, these pictures of this wonderful building that we're going to build and renovation and uh, preschool, and, and, and we know it's going to cost a lot of money, and we're going to have a capital campaign, and we're going to be talking about that more, but, but why in the world would you, I don't have any children, they're going to be in children's ministry, I don't have any preschoolers going to be in preschool ministry, why in the world would I invest uh, my $6.47 that I would spend on a triple cheese at Wendy's, why would I take that $6.47 and invest it in this? Because we have a we, not a me mentality. We are family and we are going to, we are going to maximize the missional uh, potential of our church as we renovate and build and do things that need to be done for this facility, not for me but for we, and all of us will get engaged. A capital campaign is never about raising money, ever. A capital campaign is a family getting together to do something for generations to come so that the gospel will be promoted and presented and we will celebrate the we, not just the me. This is the model that Christ has set. For us as a church. So the question is, we've got got the example, Jesus. We've got all the ingredients we need for authentic relationships. The question is, will you help me cook the gumbo? Will we do it? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we have gathered here for your glory, I know that your word uh, can be challenging for us. And, and even now, I, I'm pretty confident that uh, depending on where people are in their journey and their, um, their walk with you, that some of the things that have been shared today are going to be challenging and, and confronting. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us see that this is the way you've designed life to be. And, and help us to be corrected by your Spirit speaking through your Word even now. That, that through the life-giving pattern for relationships that you have set, that you would strengthen marriages, that you would strengthen families, that you would strengthen this family of faith called First Norfolk that we all would get in that same mind frame, frame of mind, that that we would have one heart beating in sync with your heart, that we would give ourselves wholeheartedly to you 
and sacrificially in love toward one another. And we do all this because, oh God, you are good. My goodness, you are good. In the face of my failures, in the face of my stumbling, you are good. And truly, all my life, you've been faithful. So help me not merely to sing a song of praise about your faithfulness and your goodness. Help for me to adjust my life to fit the goodness that you've called me to live. So Father, as we sing praise to you in these next few moments, will you nourish our soul, challenge our heart, help for us to begin doing what we know from your word we're to do. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray.